1: Twin Talk. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly. I'm Carrie, And, and we're, we're Identical, identical Twins. twins. <laughs> it's so great to be back for our second podcast. That's right. This is Him Talk, Him Talk Twin twins. Talk. <laughs> yeah, so we this is our second podcast, so hopefully we have some new listeners maybe yeah. this week. You know what? If you're tuning in and listening, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. We are on all sorts of social media so we are on Facebook Instagram and Twitter and you can even email us right Carrie yeah uh, our email is him talk at gmail.com and of course him talk twin talk four words but they're all connected yeah one no word yeah reach out to us let us know if we've done a hymn that you like or even better suggest a him because right. there's so many if you have a suggestion we would love to hear from you yes yes yeah, so here we are at our second week yeah and we have to pick the next hymn and And if you listened last week, you heard us say that it was hard to pick the, the hymn. right And I was singing wherever he leads, I'll go all week. Oh my gosh me. The tune was just in my head. I don't know if you guys felt that way, if the tune got sort of wrapped up. Are you kidding? I'm imagining people listening to us and just singing the song throughout their week. (laughs) I hope so. Because that's them worshipping too, right? Right. So this week's hymn is an oldie but a goodie. You might think it's not that popular, but weirdly enough, it gets requested at our Mm -hmm. weekly hymn sing almost every week so if you don't know Carrie and i host a hymn sing online um we 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 kind of started it when the pandemic started and to kind of keep us connected with our church family and it's become something that we really really do look forward to yeah it's on facebook it's on youtube we have the links on our social media so if you want to check out that hymn sing, you certainly can but this hymn just got requested so many times and we have so much fun singing it are you ready to tell them sure it is (laughs) Standing on the Promises. <laughs> Woo-hoo. So in our hymnal, it's hymn number 339. I-, I read that it's published in almost 400 hymnals. Okay, that's a lot of hymnals. Right. So it's around. People, ha- people have it in their hymnals, but if you don't have it in your hymnal or you don't have a hymnal at home, you can easily, quickly Google up the lyrics. Yep. And actually, we have the lyrics on our social media. Perfect. So people can look at our social media and follow along. This was written by the hymn writer Russell Kelso Carter in 1886. So when I was researching a little bit on this hymn, one of the things that it brought me to was that it it might actually not be considered a hymn. Interesting. Right now in 2020, I think we call all old songs hymns. But that wasn't necessarily the case. And in the late 1800s, which is exactly when this was written. Right. What was the year again? It was 1886. Yeah. And... Church music was evolving away from the traditional hymns, and what they were called were gospel songs. Okay, gospel songs. So when you're talking about hymns, moving away from hymns, that's the more traditional, classical sounding, Mm -hmm. maybe by European composers. Mm -hmm. So here in America, they're saying, we're not doing those hymns anymore. We want to have gospel songs that all our people can sing and have fun with. Yep. So the term gospel song was actually first used by a gentleman by the name of Philip Bliss. Oh, what a great name. I know. And it was in the 1800s, so right around here. And it was describing a new genre of spiritual songs that originated out of the church hymn singing tradition. And so these songs were meant to support the preacher's message. This makes so much sense to me. So if a preacher is preaching on a promise of God, they would maybe sing this song. Yes. It's about the sermon. Right. And what do we often call the content of the sermon? The gospel. Right. The preacher is preaching on the gospel, so of course you would include gospel songs. Right. When you say it that way, it makes so much sense. Right. I never really thought about it, what a gospel song is. Yep. So the music evolved from hymns all right, it really sounds like this has turned into...
0: M&Ms, always fun.
1: <laughs> a musical nerd moment. Sure, this, this is... is our M&M. We love those M&Ms. Of course we do. So old hymns that were sung in churches, Carrie, mm-hmm. had some characteristics. The rhythm was a very straight rhythm. Okay. They had complicated melodies. Hard so, to sing. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't have contemporary words at all. Preachers... And songwriters in the late 1800s sort of had their own right. hymn reformation. They started writing songs that were memorable, okay. that were easy to sing, mm-hmm. and they had plain enough lyrics to make the gospel understandable for all. And I'm imagining the tent meetings, of right? Course. The revival meetings. Yeah. The, all the people are coming, and they want to sing songs that are like the way you just described. Right. Right. Church musicians and educated musicians would actually look down on these gospel songs because they were so easy. Yeah, I can see that. And, and you know, it's kind of what is hap- what happens nowadays in church. You know, you have the people who want to sing the old hymns and then you have what? Is now known as praise and worship music. Right. Or contemporary Christian? Both, yeah. Contemporary Christian, praise and worship. You can see the same criticism today on those two types of music. And this is probably something we're going to talk about on Hymn Talk, Twin Talk in many episodes, just because we're comparing older hymns to newer hymns. It's kind of funny that this hymn from 1886 was considered the newer hymn back then. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I personally love this song. I just think it's really fun to sing. Right. And that's the feedback that we're getting from the people who tune into our, our hymn sing, right. that they think it's fun to sing. Right. All right. So people may not be entirely familiar with it. Do you want to just sing a little bit just sure. so that they can hear it? Sure. We're going to sing the whole thing at the end, but maybe just sing the first verse to, sure. s- to get it into people's heads. Yep. All right. just the re- Just the verse. Sure. Standing on the promises of Christ, my King, Eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God, <laughs> I, I hope everybody I th- remembers I it. Hope they do. I kind of hope they were singing along. That was kind of sure. fun. Yeah. yeah. The refrain is a very simple, and this is another characteristic of these gospel songs. The refrain says the same thing over and over refrain. again. In fact, the song really revolves around its refrain. The refrain is easy to sing. There's not a lot of words to memorize. You could see in these tent meetings that maybe people wouldn't sing the verse, but they would always be right ready to sing the refrain because it's so easy to memorize. The verses actually serve as an entry point to the refrain. So the verses don't develop in this sequential train of thought. The verses could be in any order. Right. And as a worship leader, sometimes I say, oh, we're only going to do two verses, or I'll do one and four. And you absolutely can do that because each verse stands alone. Yep. The refrain is uh, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing on the promises of God. That's all it says. All right. I feel like we should just sing the refrain. People want to hear it. Really? Yeah. Let's sing. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. So I would be curious if people at home were listening and they pulled out their hymnal, if they saw a fermata in that refrain. Oh, a fermata. This sounds like... I mean, uh, here we are. Already, we have another musical nerd moment.
0: Always
1: fun. Sure. Always fun. So people might not know what a fermata is. is. It is the curved arch... With the little dot in the middle. It should be over or under the note that you mm-hmm. want to hold out. So in this, for the refrain, it's the second to the last time you sing standing. And it's on the second syllable. Right. Standing. Now, the fermata means that you can hold the note as as, as long as possible. I mean, when I'm conducting the choir, mm-hmm. I tell them that the fermata means that they hold the note for as long as I tell them to. Exactly. <laughs> as long as the conductor says. If it's a solo performance, it's up to the soloist to decide how long. Mm-hmm. So, do you know, Carrie, what is the general rule yeah. for a fermata? The general rule for a fermata, I mean, we're doing so many M&Ms. M&Ms, always fun. <laughs> the general rule is that it should be held for twice at the value of the note. Right. So if it's a quarter note and it gets one beat, if the fermata is on it... You would hold it for two beats. The funny thing with a song like this is we would sing four verses. And if we were singing it in church, we would acknowledge that fermata for each verse. But (laughs) with each verse, we get a little bit longer. It kind of gets more dramatic as the song goes on. So by the fourth verse, you're holding it way longer than just double. It's probably quadruple. Right. And I think that that's what a lot of church musicians do. When the congregation is singing, I do. I think it makes it dramatic, like you said. All right, so let's talk about those verses. Do you want to just read the verses and I'll play them? I mean, we already sang verse one. Let's hear them. Standing on the promises of Christ, my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises I cannot fall, Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing
0: on the promises
1: of God. So, this song is Standing on the Promises of God. We sing that phrase over and over and over again. And I was curious. I wanted to find it in the Bible. Did you find it? (laughs) Well, I think you know that I didn't. You didn't. It doesn't exist in the Bible. This is a phrase that... Russell Kelso Carter Mm -hmm. made up and used. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because I think people listening to it now would just assume it came from somewhere in the Bible. Right. So, where do you think Russell found this? Well, I struggled with it a little bit. Where is the standing coming from? And I ended up, for just in my own mind, I replaced the word standing with the word relying, relying on the promises of God. You want it to strengthen you and encourage you, and thinking of relying on the promises of God. Yeah, what a powerful message that is. Mm. But then I thought of Russell Kelso Carter and maybe what his background was to get him to create this phrase. He went to a military academy. Wow. Yep, he was at the Pennsylvania Military Academy. In fact, it was when he was there as a teenager that he went to a tent meeting. He got baptized. He found mm. the Lord. He was 15 years old, Wow. and it changed his life. I looked up what the word stand means in terms of, you know, the military. And there's actually a military dictionary I found that had been published in 1810. Wow. And it defines stand as the act of opposing. Thus, troops that do not yield or give way are said to make a stand. Mm-hmm. So you're standing up to your enemy and you're coming out victorious. You are not to be defeated by the enemy. It's the military principle of standing. I have to think that that's what Russell Castle Carter was talking about. That makes perfect sense. hmm so who is this Russell Kelso Carter? We don't know anything about him. We know that he was in the military. We know that he um, had a conversion experience at a tent meeting when he was mm-hmm. 15 years old. Was he a musician? Did he study music? How many hymns did he write let's let's hear about this guy. He was born on November 18, 1849 in Baltimore, Maryland. He died on August 23 1928. Mm. There's not a whole lot of information about his childhood, but we do believe he grew up in a strong Christian home. And he went to the Pennsylvania Military Academy uh, in Westchester, Pennsylvania. It was about 83 miles from his home in Baltimore. He was in the first graduating class of 1867. Wow. Wow. So I did a little digging. The college has changed names and leadership so many times. Of course. But right now it's called Widener University. So I was so excited to see that they actually give an award out to someone on their staff called the Russell Kelso Carter Award. Wow. I mean, that's a fun fact. That sounds just like a fun fact. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So every year they grant this award, and it is given to somebody who, through acts and accomplishments, brought honor to the college. Wow, that is definitely a fun fact. Yeah. When he was at Pennsylvania Military Academy, he wasn't majoring in music. No. He actually received a degree in civil engineering, and he stayed on to teach mathematics, chemistry, natural sciences, and engineering. He's definitely like what we might call a renaissance man. Right, He right, just had right. interests. And knowledge in so many right. different I mean, things. math, science, engineering. And then on the side, he's writing hymns. Yeah. Yeah. Now, he wasn't the most prolific hymn writer. It says that we found that he had 52 hymns that he wrote the words and the music. So, yes, that's 52 more than us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like in the hundreds no. from what we've seen. Yeah. We definitely see hymn writers who write a lot more. Right. And then he additionally wrote 44 other hymns where he just wrote the music. Of course, this was very common back then, someone would write the music, and then someone else would eventually come in and add words. So all this time, Russell Kelso Carter is working for the university, he's also writing hymns on the side, and, you know, he's getting married and living his life. He was diagnosed with a heart condition. Yeah, he developed this heart trouble, and he actually left the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of a fun fact here, (laughs) there it is, he moved to California to raise sheep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like sheep all right. (laughs) Yeah, so he wants to move there. The climate, the air quality, it's better for his sickness. Um, He does return to the East Coast in 1879 to visit family. And at this time, he visits Charles Cullis in Boston. Right. So you may not know the name Charles Cullis, but he's kind of a famous person in church history, and he was from Cambridge, Massachusetts. He was a doctor, and one day he asked a patient with a tumor who had been bedridden if he could pray for her. She said yes. She was healed and walked three miles that day. Mm. And from that moment on, he felt challenged to pray for all of his patients. And then he would hold these meetings that were called Faith Cure Meetings, and he got attention from all over the world. And people would line up outside to have the chance to be prayed over by him, and they called these Healing Lines. Right. He held these huge conventions. Mm-hmm. So Russell Castle Carter visits him in 1879, and they become friends and Russell Kelso Carter, is healed after visiting. And he doesn't have to go back to California. He stays on the East Coast, goes back to the military academy to teach mathematics and engineering. And both Cullis and Russell Kelso Carter started preaching this theology that prayer can heal, And you really don't need medicine or science. So after he was healed by Cullis and was going on with his life and telling everyone about this great miracle, only three years later, he actually was diagnosed again. He was sick again, right? So he moves back to California. He sort of separates, um, you know, from Cullis and his work. Now- He is okay when he's in California. He's struggling with this concept of faith healing, and he publishes articles and papers about it, and he really goes back and forth whether or not he believes in it. But in 1898, he became ill again. So six years later, he's in California, but because so many years have gone by, the doctors now know that what he has is tuberculosis, and there's a treatment for it, and within 90 days, he is better. Russell Kelso Carter declared that God worked through medicine and prayer. And in 1897, he wrote a book that he titled, Faith Healing Reviewed After 20 Years. He really did change his mind. Yeah, and during these years, he studied medicine, and he became a doctor. I mean, this guy did everything. He did everything. He spent the rest of his life in Maryland practicing medicine. Right. And fully believing that prayer works— But you absolutely still need medicine. Yep. So that was his story, his physical health story. And we know that he was a follower of Christ. And we know that he wrote hymns. So now we want to know, what does the Bible say about promises?
0: What does the Bible (laughs) say? That's
1: right. So our two daughters helped us make that. They were so proud of it. <laughs> they, weren't they they love listening yeah. to it yeah. too. So what does the Bible say about promises? So the funny thing is is that if you just Google promises in the Bible, you get so much information. Mm-hmm. It's kind of overwhelming. One of the facts that I discovered was that someone wrote there were 30,000 promises in the Bible. Wow. Which there are 31,173 verses in the Bible. So, oh, wow. yeah, so that is not quite accurate. The, the range I saw was from 3,000 to 30,000. Okay, I feel like we need like a Bible nerd moment. <laughs> yes, we do. We need a Bible nerd. <laughs> so, well, this Canadian school teacher, mm-hmm. his name was Everett R. Storms, mm-hmm. and he did not believe the 30,000 number, which I agree. So what he did was he read through the Bible from beginning to end. It was the wow. 27th time that he'd done it came up with this number. Wow. You ready? 8,810 promises.
0: Wow. <laughs> That's a lot
1: of promises. That's a lot of promises. And and I loved it because he really categorized them. Are okay. you ready for this? Yeah. There are 7,847 promises wow. from God to man. Wow. That's a lot. All right. Then lot. there was 991 promises. From one person to another person. Okay. Okay. There were 290 promises from people to God, which, of course, this is very common in like the book of Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, the psalmist writes, I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. Mm-hmm. That's in Psalm 61. So the psalm writer is promising to God that he will praise him all of his days. Mm hmm. And then there's even promises from God the Father to God the Son. There's two of these. Okay. One of these examples is right in Luke 22, verses 29. Jesus says to his disciples, I give you a kingdom just as my Father gave me Me a a kingdom. kingdom. Yes, yes, yes. There's a couple of other combinations of promises, mm-hmm. but in Everett Storm's tally, there are nine promises from Satan. Ugh. I know. And so, you know, I thought, well, where does Satan promise something in the Bible? And you see when Satan is tempting Jesus, he says, I will give you all the authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Wow. So there you have it. Those are all the combinations of promises in the Bible, thanks to Everett Storm, mm-hmm. 8,810. Wow, that's a lot. Okay, so Kelly, I didn't tally any of the promises, but I did look up a lot of them. And I was wondering if maybe I could give you a pop quiz. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's my turn, right? <laughs> Absolutely. All right, pop. so pop. pop, this is going to be a pop quiz okay. to determine if you can figure out whether or not the promise comes from the Bible or the promise comes from somewhere else. Oh, well, like from where? From anywhere. So like from someplace else? Like when <laughs> you bu- you had a grand piano given to you, but you had no place <laughs> to put it? So I right. kept it in my house and I used it and I taught piano from it. Right. But I had to promise you, you did. that I would give it back to you when you had a home that would fit it. Right. You had to promise me. And everybody thought it was kind of crazy. Right, They thought we should bring in lawyers and sign contracts, contracts yeah. just yeah. to make sure. And we said, no, no, no. It's fine. We're twins. I'll give it back to her. Yeah. And Kelly did give me the piano back. See? It was fine. fine. All right. No. So no. does the promise come from the Bible or from someplace else? Or so, from like our personal life. No. No. It's <laughs> So we're going to call this Bible or what? <laughs> Wow, I like this. I like this TV show. Yeah, it would be a great game show. (laughs) Bible or what? Okay, so does this come from the Bible or does this come from someplace else? A promise is a cloud, fulfillment is rain. I'm going to say that that's someplace else. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) That is an Arabian proverb. Wow. Okay. You know, it sounded like a proverb for a minute. I thought maybe it it came from the book of Proverbs. That's what I was thinking. Okay. All right. We must not promise what we ought not, lest we be called on to perform what we cannot. Bible. (laughs) (laughs) That. You tricked me with the word lest. I did. I did. (laughs) That is Abraham Lincoln. Oh, good job, Abraham. Number 16. Okay. (laughs) Okay. A promise must never be broken. Bible. Oh, man. That is a famous quotation by Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) All
0: All right, right. how about this?
1: I should have known that one. Better not to promise at all than to make a promise and not keep it. Bible. That's Ecclesiastes 5.5. All right. Enemies' promises were made to be broken. Someplace else.
0: Yep. Oh, that's good.
1: a that's by Aesop. Wow. Must have been one in one of his fables. Aesop or Aesop. <laughs> All right, one more. Okay. Think carefully before you promise an offering to God. You might regret it later. That's Bible? Yep. That's from Proverbs 20:25. 20, nice. All right. Nice. So I have one more, but I know you'll know that it's not from the Bible, but <laughs> it's funny. How about this one? A promise is like a baby. Easy to make, hard to deliver. <laughs> Well, that's definitely someplace else. All right. So I just did all my quotations, some from the Bible, some not. Uh, Do you have a favorite Bible passage that mentions a promise? Well, you know, it's funny. I do. One of my favorite verses from when I was a kid was from John 14, 1 through 3, and it is actually a promise. Mm -hmm. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that mm. you also may be where I am. Oh. so that's a promise that Jesus has a place for us right. and that he will return and take us with him. Right. Yeah, yeah, so that's a great promise. So it's my favorite verse, but it also just happens to be a promise, yeah. right? It's- so do you have a favorite promise you know that you want to tell us? Well, I don't know if it was my favorite, but definitely when I was doing the research for this episode, I read it and it just struck me. Mm. It's 1 Timothy 1, 1.7, written by the Apostle Paul, and the New Living Translation is this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. When I read this verse, I couldn't help but wonder if this could be...
0: <laughs>
1: oh. The hymn inspiration for Russell Kelso Carter. Oh. if he was particularly inspired by this verse, because it seems like each part of the verse is associated with a verse of his hymn. Mm-hmm. And then it would really be a gospel song, right? Yeah. <laughs> so just to read the verse again, he, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. I look at the first verse of the song. It's talking about shouting and singing glory to God in the highest. I mean, this is somebody who's not afraid or timid if they're shouting and singing. Absolutely. And then 1 Timothy 1.7 says, God has given us a spirit of power. And that made me think of verse 2, standing on the promises that cannot fail, even though there are storms of doubt and fear. And then of course, the Bible verse says that God has given us a spirit of love. And then in verse three, it talks about being bound to God eternally by love's strong cord. And then finally, the Bible says, he has given us a spirit of self-discipline. And look at verse four. It says, I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call. I feel like that has to do with self-discipline. It seems to me that this is exactly from 1 Timothy 1.7. Uh, you may be right. Absolutely. When I was looking at the verses, I loved that they all could stand alone, that each one said one thing, and each one could kind of be found in the Bible in different ways. Mm-hmm. You were able to just find it in First Timothy, but each each verse has its own kind of scriptural reference that I thought we could just talk about. In the beginning, when he says, standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring, glory in the highest. Mm-hmm. I was brought right back to the, to the story of the birth of Jesus. The angels sang, glory in the highest. And you know, we're not whispering this. We're not kind of just talking quietly about it. We are singing and shouting it. So I love that. And then in verse 2, when it says, By the living word of God, I shall prevail. In Hebrews, it says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Mm. And then in verse 3, It talks about overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword. So we are to live with the Holy Spirit inside of us that will help us, that will help us to overcome, that will help us to live. It will guide us, strengthen us, sustain us. And then in verse four, he says, listening every moment to the Spirit's call. call. Again, resting in my Savior as my all in all because I know that he's everything and he's going to take care of me. So in a way, it sort of reminds me of my my favorite Bible verse Mm -hmm. that... We should not let our hearts be troubled because we know that we have a future with him, that he's prepared a place for us. So that's the biggest promise right there. And it's all over that song. Right. So when we think back to how I looked at the word standing, right, Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the podcast, we said it's about relying on it. And Russell Kelso Carter relied on God. Mm -hmm. He had to. He was failing in health. He was moving across the country, changing jobs. He really did rely on God's promises in his whole life. And he lived a long life for a guy who thought this heart condition was was going to kill him at a young age. He really did live how many years? He died at the age of 78. And like we said at the beginning, he, he wrote 50 hymns, and this standing on the promises was in almost 400 hymnals. Wow. I mean, I would like to think that people all over the world have access to one of those hymnals. Exactly. Exactly. One. Everybody knows this song. And somewhere along the line in my research, Mm -hmm. I found a fifth verse. A fifth verse? Yes. Well, who wrote it? So it was written by John J. Hood. You see it. It's J.J. Hood. Okay. And sometimes the hymnals say, hymn by Russell Kelso Carter, fifth verse by John J. Hood. Sometimes it says that. It is not in our hymnal. Okay. The fifth verse is standing on the promises I now can see, perfect present cleansing in the blood for me. Oh. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free, standing on the promises of God. Wow. Now, John J. Hood was a, worked for a music publisher in Pennsylvania, right where he was. Oh. He's listed often as the editor of hymnals, and he's also – Listed as copyright John J. Hood in a lot of these songs. So written by Russell Kelso Carter, copyright John J. Hood. So I don't know if he bought the, bought rights, the rights to the song. I mean, I'm not going to call John J. Hood a bad man. But some nefarious dealings here. I think there's something fishy. Because then he was listed as the writer of the fifth verse. But then as I kept finding other hymnals and other hymnals in different publications... He was just listed as the hymn writer. Russell Keltz of Carter was not there. His name wasn't even written there? Nope. (gasps) Scandal. Scandal in the hymnal world. (laughs) Well, we so, know that Russell Kelso Carter we do. wrote this. And now all of you know it, too, because we just told you his whole story. Aww, we hope you enjoyed hearing about Russell Kelso Carter. We really want to sing the song yes, for you. Yes. If you would like to Google the lyrics or go to our social media pages, you can sing right along with us. We are not singing that fifth verse. No, we are not. Absolutely. John Jay Hood, uh-uh. So we're doing verses one (laughs) through four. Yeah. And now one of the things that we love about this hymn and that makes it so much fun to sing, which we talked about at the beginning, is that there's some fun harmonies and there's some fun rhythms, which again is a characteristic of this gospel song style of music that was written in the late 1800s. So it's perfect. Not not a characteristic of a hymn. No. Right. So it's fun rhythms, fun harmonies. So... The harmony in the verse is is very traditional, pretty standard. It's, it's what we would call chordal harmony. Mm-hmm. that's c h o r d chord because it follows the major chords. it there's nothing really different. There's no dissonance, there's no like jazz harmonies. It's right. a very traditional chordal harmony. and that stands pretty much for the verse. But when the refrain comes, something different happens. so, The chords are still pretty standard, but Mm -hmm. what Russell Kelso Carter did to add interest was he created lots of rhythm and moving parts. The alto tenor and bass parts have a much more rhythmic part. It's moving a lot, a lot more than the soprano. Right. The soprano part, the melody part, which, you know, let's be honest, which is the part that most people sing. Most people will sing. (gasps) Holds out these half notes. Mm -hmm. Standing, standing standing and that's really what everyone sings and what everyone recognizes but what i want to do is i want (laughs) to sing a little bit of this alto and tenor part so we're going to hear this rhythmic moving harmony during the refrain so i'm kerry i will sing that part (laughs) kelly you'll do the melody i'll do the melody so please sing with us and worship right along with us this is standing Standing on on the the promises promises by russell kelso carter (laughs)
0: I will shout and
1: That was fun. (laughs) Such a great song. Do you know when we first started singing that, we could not stop laughing? No, we would just giggle the whole time. It's cute. Yeah. So we're wrapping up episode two of Hymn Talk Talk, Twin Twin Talk. Talk. Thanks for listening. Before we finish, we just want to end with a scripture verse. Kelly. Do you have something to share? This is Psalm 47. It's a psalm of praise, a psalm of joy, and it also reminds us just how faithful our God is. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Just like Russell Kelso Carter said, he loves us. We are bound to him eternally. We are to rely on God's promises all the days of our lives. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for now. Keep singing, everyone. We'll see you next time on Hymn
0: Hym Talk, Talk, Twin, Twin Talk. Talk. Bye.